Well, good morning, church. I love when God says, less guitar, more voices. At least he didn't say more cowbell or something like that. So uh, thank you for singing out uh, these, these things, these sound systems, microphones, instruments. They're great gifts to be used, uh, but we know that we ultimately have all we need and the word of God and the spirit that he gives us and our own voices. And so, um, yeah, I love when things don't always go according to plan. Amen. All right. Well, church, it is good to be back with you guys this morning. Uh, thank you all for praying for us. As many of you know, uh, the Walker family went on a vacation last week to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And uh, as some of you know, uh, we drove down there and, and we had seven small children uh, with, with uh, my sister's kids and our kids. And upon arriving there, we heard the news that we were going to be in the path of Hurricane Michael. But after having just driven 12 hours in the van with small children, we weighed our options. What would be best uh, to put the kids back in the van, turn around and drive back? or to be stuck in a hurricane, and we decided the hurricane sounded more manageable, so we stayed. Uh, we stayed, but praise God. Uh, thank you for your prayers. The hurricane did not hit us directly. We were about 30 miles, ended up being 30 miles west of where it really uh, hit, and so we had a, a couple of great days, still nice days out on the beach, and then the days that we had to be inside were still just great times with the family to, to play games and watch movies and spend time together. So uh, we had a great time, and, and I think all of us have come back maybe a little tired from the drive, but overall refreshed and rejuvenated. So uh, thank you. But Hurricane Michael, it did do some significant damage down there, so we do need to be praying for those that were affected by it, uh, as well as to be praying for those churches that are down there in that area. Even uh, one of the fellow Sojourn Church planters is there in Tallahassee, and I need to reach out to him. And so just, just be praying about how we can uh, support and encourage and mobilize the church's efforts down there as they're serving, serving people in the aftermath of the storm. Uh, but thank you. It, it, it was a, a, a great time to get away. We're thankful for Dave Mikulski, Carly's dad, who was here to preach last week. So I hope that you guys got a chance to meet Dave and Carol, to get to know them a little bit. If you did not listen to his message, please go online. It's on our website and listen to it. It was a, it was a great message. And Dave has been such a big influence in my life, just in my call to ministry and in these early years of ministry, helping navigate some waters and walk alongside us. And Dave and Carol have been, have been really partnered with this church since the beginning and, and, and prayerfully and, and just supporting us with their wisdom and encouragement. So please uh, uh, make sure next time you see them, next time they're in town, to thank them, and we'll hopefully have them back more often. And, and it is my hope and prayer that one day they will move to Franklin and join us, but we will see. We will see. That's my hope and prayer, though. Okay, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, we are back in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to have the scriptures up on the screen, as well as we always have Bibles you can grab on the way in out in the lobby. Uh, and if you do not have a Bible, please take one of those home uh, with you. We believe it's, it's that important to have the Word of God with you, to be reading it. It changes people's lives. Many of us can attest to that. Uh, but we're back in Mark chapter 6. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And we'll be in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. Before we jump in, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for uh, bringing us back to this, this family, God. Thank you for uh, uh, my, my family, the walkers, God. Thank you for the time that we had away to rest and, and refresh and enjoy one another. 
Uh, but God, I thank you for this family, Franklin City Church, and the work that you are doing here. And I thank you for these, these people, the love they have for you, the love they have for your word, and the love that they have for this city. And God, as we approach your word this morning, we do ask that you would speak, um, that you would teach us as well as you would change us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, God, and that you would stir in our hearts a love for you. So God, I ask that it would be your words that last and stick with us as we go out from here this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark 6, verse 30. Let's look, let's look together. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So here, here are the, uh, the apostles, and I'll catch you guys up a little bit, and it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Mark, uh, but they returned from this journey that Jesus had sent them out on. So you remember from a few weeks ago, we, we saw Jesus send out the disciples on a missionary journey, and he sends them out two by two. Remember, he sends them out in community with one another. He sends them out as ambassadors, right? He gives them authority to represent him and, and to teach and to heal people. And he, and he sends them out then with no provisions, right? He says, don't take anything with you. You're just going to have to be totally dependent upon me for this mission. He sends them out with no provisions. And then he also sends them out ready to be received as well as ready to be rejected. He's like, some people are going to welcome you in. They're going to hear this message and respond, but there are going to be others that reject and do not receive this message. And then Mark in chapter 6 then goes into the kind of this, oh, by the way, speaking of rejection, right? Let me tell you about John the Baptist and what happened to him. And so that's the last passage in Mark 6 that we had preached through was about John the Baptist. Mark kind of goes into this, this side note. Let me tell you what happened to John the Baptist and how he ultimately was, was not received and was rejected and he ended up being beheaded. And now Mark 6 verse 30, we kind of get back to where we were after Jesus had sent them out two by two. And they come back. They come back and they're telling Jesus all that had happened, right? I mean, you can imagine this. Anytime we've been away from one another, we, get, we come back together. We're like, hey, let me, let me tell you what happened. We, we got to share this with this person and this happened and this person got healed and they're kind of catching up on what's going on. But just like anyone in ministry, they are tired. They are tired. And Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And rest a while. Jesus knows that they had just gotten back from a journey, from doing ministry. And he says, come away, let's go to a desolate place and let's rest a while. There are so many people at this point coming to them that the, the word says they don't even have time to eat, right? And so they get in a boat, right, to be by themselves, to go out onto the sea. And I, and I hope that, that one thing that start, is starting to stand out in this passage is it was read by Alyssa here just a few minutes ago. And as we, as we go through this text, what I want to stand out to you is the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Because not only do we see Jesus be compassionate with his disciples by giving them rest, right? This is a compassionate thing to do. He says, let's go, let's get some rest. But then we're also going to see him be compassionate with the crowd by teaching them and feeding them. And so we have to understand first what compassion means. 
and specifically what the Bible means when it says that Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion. Now, the Greek word that is translated here as compassion is a word that is used in the New Testament only to describe Jesus. It's, only, it's a word that is only used for Jesus in the New Testament. And the word means to have mercy, to feel sympathy, and to have pity. Okay, this Greek word compassion, it means to have mercy, feel sympathy, and have pity. But this word was not just describing a superficial mercy, right? Or just a superficial sympathy or pity. No, the word for compassion is getting at a far deeper emotion. It's a deeper emotion. It's not just, hey, I'm kinda, I kind of feel bad for that person, or I guess I'll show pity for them. It's not a superficial mercy. It's a deep mercy, okay? And so much so, the word literally means, okay, now let's, let's try to be mature here. Let's see how mature you guys are, okay? The word literally means to be moved so deeply as to one's bowels. You guys are pretty mature. You're more mature than I am. Okay. <laughs> To, but it means to have such a deep feeling or emotion that the bowels yearn. The bowels yearn. Now, that doesn't really translate well in our culture, okay? Because I know some of y'all, you guys have been moved to your bowels. Your bowels have been yearning, uh, but that wasn't compassion. That was probably like IBS or Taco Bell or something else, all right? But that wasn't compassion, all right, but the compassion that the, the scripture is talking about is this deep yearning, this deep level of sympathy and mercy and pity. You see, back in that culture and in that time, it was thought that the bowels were the seat of love and mercy, okay? And so if you had compassion, this word compassion, it meant that you had a deep love, a deep sympathy, a deep mercy, a deep pity, and not just a superficial emotion like you felt bad for someone, but no, this was a deep yearning that you had when you had compassion. Now, I realize it's impossible to preach about bowels and not have right, a little bit of laughter and fun with it, okay? But seriously, think about this. Think about this deep yearning, this deep level of sympathy and mercy that Jesus has when the scripture says that Jesus had compassion, all right? That's what I want you to understand when I, throughout the rest of this uh, sermon, talk about Jesus the compassionate, okay? When I say Jesus the compassionate, you got to understand that this Jesus has a deep yearning and a love and a sympathy and a mercy and a pity on these people that are around him. And the same is true for us as well. So that's what the Bible is saying when it says that Jesus had compassion. Jesus the compassionate and in this passage, we first see Jesus the compassionate. He gives rest to the weary. We first see Jesus the compassionate give rest to the weary. His disciples return, right? And he doesn't, he doesn't send them back out right away. That probably would have been the most effective thing to do, right? Okay, you're back. Let's send you over there to spread the message. No, he doesn't start strategizing and planning. Okay, well, what could we have done better? How are we going to do this better? No. Jesus knows the human body. He knows how we are created to function, and he knows that the disciples need rest, and he cares about them. He has compassion for them, and so he shows his compassion for them by saying, let's go away to a desolate place and rest a while. It's very compassionate 
of Jesus to give rest to the weary. And isn't this so often what we see Jesus do throughout his life here on earth? Like just when the crowds get big enough that you think, oh, now he's got the big platform to share with the most people. Like those are the times that Jesus goes away off by himself to pray with the Father and to withdraw to a desolate place to rest. You see, although Jesus, yes, he is fully God, he also understood what it was like to be fully human. He understood what it was like to have a human body, to, to get tired, right? He understood what it was like to grow weary. It's not a sin to get tired. Jesus felt the effects of tiredness, but how did he respond? He rested. He rested, and he showed his disciples how to rest as well. And guys, when I think back about like church history and reading some Christian biographies, I'm always astounded as to how much people got accomplished back in the day for the Lord, right? I'm always impressed, even before all the technological advancements, just how much some of these men and women poured out their lives for the Lord. I mean, books upon books were being written before we had computers, before we could, you know, uh, just talk to text, you know, dictation or anything like that. Sermon upon sermon was being written, confession upon confession was being penned, and book upon book was being put out. And I think, like, how in the world did they have the time? Like, not only how in the world did they have the time, how in the world did they have the energy to accomplish all that they accomplished back in the day? And then I look around at us today, and listen, this is not to be a, a, a jab at, at, at you all. It's not to be a put down on all of us. But I think about us who have all, this, all the information and knowledge we could want at our fingertips, who have all the technology we need to get the word around and broadcast it around the globe. And I think, man, the potential that is there. And yet many of us, we are tired, we are weary, we are busy, we are distracted, we are exhausted. And I don't think that it's, it's, it's that God has given us a different calling than he gave our brothers and sisters in Christ back in the day. I don't think it's that. I believe it's we're too tired because we have forgotten how to rest. We've forgotten how to rest. We have forgotten how to stop. And our culture in general has forgotten to remember a day of rest, a Sabbath where you stop, right? A, a day that, that we know we don't have to keep legalistically like for God to love us or accept us. It's not that. It's not that, that, that we have all these rules that we have to keep the Sabbath this exact way or else God won't be happy with us. No, it's not that. But the Sabbath was a gift that God gave to his people for rest for the weary. It was his compassion that he gave us this gift. And yet we live in a day where we, we don't know how to stop. We've forgotten how to rest. And I mean, ask anyone how they are doing. If I think if anyone's semi-honest with one another, they'll say, hey, I'm tired. I'm busy. Follow up that question with, well, well, how are you resting? When are you stopping? They'll look at you like you're a crazy person. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's laziness. I'm not lazy. I don't know how to stop. 
I mean, most of our lives, if we think about it, most of our lives, we look like a toddler who's, who's just barely learned how to ride a bike, but has forgotten how to stop. So J- Jamin, my, our, our, four, our four-year-old, he can ride his bike with training wheels and he'll get going really fast, he'll do really good, but then he'll go down a little hill or just a little decline and he gets going really fast and it seems like when he gets going really fast, he completely forgets everything I've taught him about how to stop and he just takes his feet off the pedals and just screams, right? It's a half squeal, half scream, half delight, half fear, Right? Because he knows at some point, if I don't catch up to him, he's going to crash into something. And as I watched him do that, I thought, man, that's, that's how a lot of our lives look like. They've gotten going so fast that we've forgotten everything God taught us about how to stop. And we're just half squealing, half screaming. No, we're going to crash at some point. We just don't know into what we're going to crash or when we're going to crash. We've forgotten how to stop. And we've forgotten how to stop because we don't practice stopping. We don't want to be legalistic about it, so we don't practice it. We don't learn how to stop and rest. But ultimately, why don't we stop? Ultimately, think about it. Think about it in your mind. Why don't you stop? I mean, I think you can sugarcoat it all you want and and say you don't stop because you just got all these important things to do. You don't stop because maybe you're doing all these good things. You're busy helping other people. You're busy serving the Lord. You're busy going to church activities. You're busy providing for your family. You're busy telling people about Jesus. You're busy entertaining or teaching or taking care of your kids, which all those things are good things, by the way, okay? But, But those things, that is not why we don't stop. We don't stop because of our pride. We don't stop because of our pride. By you not stopping, that is you declaring that you do not need to stop. You are essentially saying that you think you are like God and you have limitless energy and limitless strength and therefore you don't need to rest. We don't stop because of our pride. C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, which is the first book we're reading with our elder candidates, he writes this of pride, and he's trying to explain why God hates pride so much. He says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. I'll read it again. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. We don't stop because we think that if we rest, the world will fall apart. Or at least our little world will fall apart. But when we think that way, we are revealing our prideful hearts that have forgotten who, in fact, does uphold the universe, right? We've forgotten who, in fact, does actually hold all things together. So when we stop and when we rest, that is a humbling experience because in doing so, you are acknowledging your humanness, By stopping, you are acknowledging your humanness and you are acknowledging God's godness. 
I don't know if that's a word or if I can say that, right? But you get what I'm saying. By stopping, you're acknowledging your humanness and you're acknowledging God's godness. And so if you want to fight pride in your life, which we all do need to fight, and you want to pursue humility like God tells you to, you need to stop and rest. It's a humbling experience when we rest and we realize and we trust that it is God that is holding all things together. Yes, I know for myself, working seven days could seem like I could get more accomplished for the Lord, but he told me to work six and rest one, so I'm going to rest, and by resting, by resting, I'm growing in my understanding that I have limits, but God does not. By resting, I'm growing in my understanding that that I do not hold all things together, but Jesus does. By resting, I'm growing in my understanding that I need to be poured into all the time by the Father in order to be poured out. And so church, Jesus the compassionate not only offers this invitation of rest to his disciples, but to us as well. Now you might be thinking, okay, why so much emphasis on stopping and resting? Uh, can we just get to the bread and the fish, please? That's the main, right? That's like, oh, you know, this is a big deal. We're not even at the bread and fish yet. Uh, you might be thinking this guy really needs to get his head out of the vacation clouds and come back to the real world, right? I get it. But seriously, why do I care so much about this for you? And why does it seem like even in the book of Mark so far, we've come across this, this idea so often about resting and stopping? I think it's so important because it is when you stop, that is when you start to understand and engage with what God is doing in your soul. Let me put it another way, okay? It is when you stop that you start to experience and appreciate the Spirit's sanctifying work in your heart. And I'll prove it to you, okay? Everyone stop what you're doing right now. Just stop it. Well, everything you're doing. If you're writing notes, stop. If you're listening, stop. If you were sleeping, stop. If you were spacing out, thinking about the rest of the day, just stop. Everyone stop what you're doing, okay? It's usually when you stop everything, that is when you start to notice other things that are happening like you maybe start to notice your breathing, the in and out of your lungs, getting oxygen in, expelling CO2, blood cells getting oxygenated, heartbeat pumping, pumping the blood all throughout your body to get your body all the oxygen that it needs. Have you guys started to notice your breathing right now? You've been breathing this, this whole time. I don't think this was that suspenseful of a sermon that anyone was holding their breath, okay? You've been all breathing this whole time, but it was when you stopped that you could actually start realizing what was happening in your body, that God was sustaining you, that God was providing the oxygen that you needed. In church, in the same way, God is always working in your life and on your heart. However, because we do not stop, we are often unaware of it, and therefore we do not respond to it 
or engage with the Spirit's work in our hearts. But when we stop, when we listen, when we rest, church, that is when we get to the good stuff, right? Like that is when we hear the promptings and the leadings of the Spirit. That is when that river of life starts welling up in our souls and in our hearts, right? That's when we find the refreshment and the rest that we have been looking for. That's when callings are heard, and that's when courage is given to answer those callings from God. It is when we stop. Now, everyone that I told to stop listening, you can start listening again, but stop everything else. Okay. Jesus, the compassionate, he said this in Matthew 11. We'll have it up here on the screen. Jesus, the compassionate, said in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For we know that Jesus provides us our ultimate rest by taking our sin and giving us his righteousness so that we no longer have to strive and work and labor for a right standing with God. But instead, in Christ, because of Jesus, we can receive it by faith and we can rest from our work and rest in his work alone. Praise God. Jesus, the compassionate, he gives rest to the weary. Look back at Mark 6, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus and the disciples were in the boat, they were escaping from the crowds to rest. They got some rest while in the boat, but they were escaping to going to a desolate place. They get to the shore, and the crowds are there. Oh, I mean, that might have been a little awkward, right? Oh, hey, guys. Uh, I didn't think you guys were all invited. We were sort of trying to get away from you. But now you're all here. That's great. That's good, right? How, how, think about how you would react in that situation. I mean, first, you'd probably just be impressed at the foot speed and running ability of the crowd, right? I mean, you couldn't even be upset at first. At first, you're just, I'm not mad. I'm just impressed that you got around here that quickly. Like, that is some great running ability by this crowd, all right? But, but then think about it. And look how Jesus reacts. He's not frustrated with them. I probably would have been a little frustrated trying to escape. And boom, there the crowds are waiting. But Jesus, no, he, he's not frustrated. He's not angry. He's not annoyed. He's not upset like some of us would have been. No, he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He saw the reality of the situation that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Have you guys ever seen sheep without a shepherd? Usually if one walks off a cliff, they all follow. They just, oh, that's what we're doing? Okay, yeah. They just go. Sheep without a shepherd are just a, a train wreck waiting to happen. Sheep need shepherds, right, to lead them, to feed them, to protect them, to care for them. 
And a couple of weeks ago, you remember, we talked about elders and pastors in the church, how, how we are to shepherd the flock, the people of God. But Jesus looked at his people and he had compassion on them because they were not being shepherded. You see, the leaders of the people in that day were supposed to be teaching them, but they had gotten off track. So there were two main groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees had kind of compromised with the Roman Empire, and therefore they weren't encouraging God's people to await for the, the, the hope and the deliverance that the Old Testament prophets had, had promised them. They'd sort of just compromised and just kind of settled, okay, Romans are ruling us, but whatever. The other group, the Pharisees, they liked to add things to Scripture. Like, here's Scripture, oh, let's, let's sprinkle in a few other things. But then they would focus more on the things they added than actually the Scripture itself. And so the people were not being shepherded well. And as a result, they were malnourished, they were lost. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this desperate situation. I'm going to read a quote that we'll have up here on the, up on the screen. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, speaking about human sheep without a shepherd, he wrote this. He says, there were questions, but no answers. Distress, but no relief. Anguish of conscience, but no deliverance. Tears, but no consolation. Sin, but no forgiveness. Right? He's saying, he's saying they were hungering for truth, but they were starving. They were malnourished. They were lost. They had tons of questions, but no one to really give them any answers or guidance. They knew distress, but they didn't know what, what ultimate relief would look like. Their consciences were distraught, but they didn't know how they were going to be delivered. They had tears, but no consolation. They knew they had sin, but they didn't know about forgiveness. And Jesus sees them. He sees them in this state, and he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them, and so he starts to teach them he sees the people hungering for truth, hungering for truth with no one to feed them, and he starts to teach. And just imagine, just imagine how satisfying this would have been for the people to hear the word of God, to hear the truth being taught. For many of them, it might have been the first time they were hearing it. And it wasn't just being taught by anyone, but this was being taught by God in the flesh, teaching them words of life. The actual light of the world was enlightening them. Their hearts and their minds, just imagine, they were being satisfied by these life-giving words of Jesus, just like their bellies are about to be in this text. But church, what a glorious position someone is in when they are seeking and hungering for the truth. What just a glorious posture and position that is when someone is seeking and hungering for the truth. It's such a good and promising place to be in. And I say that not because I'm confident in that person's ability to find the truth themselves. I'm not, I don't think that that's a good position to be in because I'm, I'm confident their ability to find the truth. No, I can say they are in a good position because I'm confident in the compassion of Jesus. And I'm confident in what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The one who seeks, finds. 
Jesus, the compassionate, he satisfies those who hunger for truth, who hunger for truth. So church, let us not, please let us not be a people who get frustrated or annoyed or upset or be judgmental towards people who are hungering and seeking the truth. Not everyone's going to come and just be on the exact same wavelength as you. You know, a lot of you have been following Jesus for many, many years, and so there's a lot of doctrines and things that you've worked through and studied through and and prayed over and, and sought counsel on for years and years and years. But people come, when they come to Christ, like, like, don't be frustrated or annoyed with them. They're seeking truth. Be patient with them. Be compassionate with them. Be loving and gracious to one another. We're all at different kind of walks in our journey and and seeking after the truth, but there's something we all have in common. We're hungering for truth. So rejoice when someone's hungering and seeking the truth and patiently walk alongside them and point them to Jesus and then trust that Jesus, the compassionate, He satisfies the hungry. The one who seeks finds. You can trust in that. You can rest in that. Jesus, the compassionate, he satisfies the hungry. Look back at verse 35, Mark 6, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, now this is one of the more well-known miracles that Jesus performed. And it was actually the only miracle besides the resurrection to be recorded in all four Gospels. And later in Mark, we're going to see him feed uh, uh, 4,000. So if you think I'm, I'm missing some points in him feeding the 5,000, just wait. We're, he's going to feed the 4,000. We'll talk some about that too. Uh, but it is an impressive miracle, all right? He takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and he sa- it says he feeds 5,000 men. Now, with women and children, this is probably about 20,000 people that he feeds with five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, think about that. I know you've probably, you've heard it over and over. You learned about it in Sunday school. It's maybe not that impressive to you, but think about it. Think about 20,000 people. So to give you a perspective of 20,000 people, Bankers Life uh, Stadium or Arena, whatever we call it, where the Pacers play, downtown Indy, it seats 20,000 people people, okay? So imagine Jesus and the disciples with five loaves of bread and two fish in the middle of banker's life with a packed house. Everyone's hungry, 
and all the concessions are closed, okay? Imagine that. Get that picture in your mind, because that's the, that's, the, that's the majesty of what we're talking about here, about 20,000 people, okay? Banker's life, full, everyone hungry, concessions are closed. The disciples start telling Jesus, hey, let's send, we got to get these people out of here, right? Like, like have, them, have them go out to different towns. There's no way we can feed them all. And Jesus, here again, being compassionate, Listen, he's, he's, he's compassionate to the crowds, but he's so compassionate to his disciples. Look, he's going to involve the disciples in the process for their joy and the strengthening of their faith. How good is Jesus, right? He, we, we know the end. I'm not, you know, there's no spoilers. He's going to feed everybody, all right? But, but, but look how compassionate he is to the disciples to involve them in the process. He says, you give them something to eat. He wasn't just trying to like get out of the situation, like, all right, good luck, guys. Who's, who's in charge of the meals in the, the discipleship core? Okay, good luck, right? No, he's, he's involving them in the process. He says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, hey, Jesus, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of people here. I don't know if you've talked to HR lately, but the discipleship program does not pay very well here. We don't have the money to buy all these people food enough to feed everybody. Jesus says, you feed them. And to their credit, they did go out and try to kind of round up some, you know, see what they had going on. All right, they, they put in an effort there and they find five loaves of bread and two fish and they're looking at it and they're looking at the crowd and they realize we have a problem. We have a problem, that's a problem. Jesus said, you feed them. They have five loaves of bread and two fish. That's a problem, all right? And Jesus looks at it And moved by his compassion, he's now going to show them that God's power is enough. He's going to show them that God's grace is sufficient. You see, the disciples, they had a problem, right? 20,000 people, they're hungry. Jesus told them to feed them. That's a problem. But, But look, look, church, when our perceived problems require solutions that are beyond our resources and beyond our abilities, church, Jesus does not see those as problems. We see those as problems. If we have a problem that is beyond, the solution to it is beyond the resources we have, beyond our abilities, we think that is a problem. I'm telling you, church, Jesus does not see that as a problem. He sees that as an opportunity for us to trust God and for us to get a front row seat to watch his power and his glory and his compassion and his sufficiency play out in our lives. We get a front row seat to that. So yes, Jesus was compassionate to the crowd by feeding them, by meeting their physical needs, and we, we, which is something we should be about as well, all right? So we should never neglect people's physical needs. We should always try to meet their spiritual and physical needs. Jesus is compassionate to the crowd. He meets their physical needs as well as teaches them. But then look how compassionate he is to his disciples. They get to be a part of it. They get to participate. They're the ones that get to serve the people the bread and the fish. This bread and fish that Jesus was miraculously multiplying, his disciples got to go take it and distribute and serve it to the people. 
They're getting to witness firsthand the power of God. And then, and then look how compassionate Jesus is. After the crowd is fed, look how much is left over. Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and a fish. 12 baskets. That might not hit you on first read. But do you know how many 12 baskets? you know how many that is? Jesus the compassionate provided 12 baskets left over. That's one for each disciple to hold in their hands and to see for themselves the power and the sufficiency of God. They didn't have to just hear about it. Like John wasn't just hearing about it from Peter. Oh, hey, I had leftover over here. No, they all had enough to hold in their hands and see for themselves that God was enough. They saw God's glory. They got to participate in his glory as the people, as he was feeding and showing compassion to the people. They got to see that Jesus was more than enough. They got to see firsthand that Jesus, the compassionate, he gives rest to the weary and he satisfies the hungry. What they thought was a problem was actually the compassion of God to them to give them a front row seat to see his glory on display. And church, he was and he still is more than enough. Some of y'all needed to hear that this morning, just that. The rest of the sermon, maybe you don't need, but I think some of you, we at least need to hear that. He was and he is more than enough. His compassion was more than enough. Everyone was satisfied and the provisions were even just bountifully just left over. How silly and how forgetful we are when we look at our problems and we think, man, I got a problem that requires a solution beyond my ability and beyond my resources. I've got a problem that requires a solution that is beyond what the number in my bank account says or is beyond the giftings that I think God has given me. We, we forget. We think we have a problem. Jesus looks at that. He does not see a problem. He sees an opportunity for his glory to be displayed, his compassion to be experienced, for our faith to be strengthened. Church, Jesus, the compassionate, he gives rest to the weary, and he satisfies the hungry. So in conclusion, here's why I'm excited to be part of this church plant and why I'm excited for all of you to be a part of this church plant. I realize that going to an established church in a lot of ways can be a little bit more comfortable. It can be a little bit more convenient. Ministries are already up and rolling. You know, things seem a little bit more stable and secure, and I get all that. But here's why I am excited to be here. There are approximately 25 to 30,000 people in Franklin. And Jesus has called us to feed them. And I look at our resources and our abilities, and no offense, but church plants at best come to the table with no more than five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And Jesus says, you feed them. That's what he's called us. He's called us to feed them. And I, I can at times come to the Lord and say, Lord, we have a problem. You've called us to this, but our, our, it seems like our resources and abilities are just here, but you've called us to this. Like, what is that? Is that God being mean? Is that God calling us to something that, that we'll never be able to do? Is that God giving us a task that, that is beyond what we will ever have? Five loaves of bread, two fish for a whole city? But the reason I can say that I'm excited for us is because according to God's great compassion, he has given us a front row seat to see his glory displayed in this city. Five loaves of bread we think isn't enough. But church, you got to hear this. There's only one bread that is needed for the city. And he has been called the bread of life. We'll close with this. Charles, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, once said this. He says, Come then, weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. Open your mouth and receive food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed. And church, may we be a rested and a satisfied people, a people who have the faith to receive and believe that what Christ provides us is all that we need, that he is more than enough, that he is a compassionate God who gives us rest. He satisfies our souls. And so let us worship this compassionate God. And let us then go and show this same compassion to others. And let's offer our neighbors and our city this bread of life that we've received. May we have courage that he is more than enough for the calling that he has given us. Let's pray.